Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. I've been watching Porotech's meteoric rise over the last 18 months or so. And a few weeks ago, I actually sat with Tong Tong at the Business Weekly Awards. And I suggested to him that at the rate he was going, he'd need more display cabinets than even Darren Disley needed back in his Horizon Discovery days. So I'm sure we're going to come back to that um, later on during the conversation. But it was that same evening I asked Tong Tong if he would join us on the podcast. And I'm delighted to welcome Tong Tong Zhu, CEO and co-founder of Porotech, to the Cambridge Tech Podcast. Tong Tong, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Great. So I think like me, the broader Cambridge community really pick up your story when you won the Chris Abel postdoc competition. But actually, there's a journey for you before that. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how you got to doing the postdoc at Cambridge University. I was doing a PhD, uh, doing a postdoc, uh, mostly on the gallium natural material, which is arguably the most important uh, semiconductor material uh, since silicon, uh, which is the other uh, wonderful material for the electronics world. It has wonderful, amazing material properties. And I believe um, nowadays everybody has some bit of this material in the household, in the pockets, in the displays, in the LED lighting. So it's one of the most important semiconductor materials. So we were studying it, how we can improve it, how we can uh, study the mechanism of physics. And obviously we were doing some scientific research and uh, encountering some problems that limits the uh, performance of the devices and the material itself. So we were trying to look for medical alternatives. I, I didn't have a, a, any other way to go, but have to think very medically in terms of how we can uh, utilize this material property. And luckily, we found out a way to engineer the material itself so that we can unleash the material property. And then obviously, we uh, were all academics and didn't have any experience in terms of uh, finding applications for patents and uh, any business plans and trainings, actually. So we got persuaded by the Cambridge University and uh, Cambridge Enterprise in terms of we should file patents. Uh, I think the most important takeaway from that uh, journey and that process was it was the first time in terms of uh, getting our thoughts together. Uh, it might be a good idea, it may be an opportunity, but it would be nice to have some critics along the way and some mentoring uh, along the way to help us to craft this whole idea as well as the uh, business case. Uh, but that was basically the first initial uh, starting point. That's really interesting, Tong Tong. So I, I guess my first question is, you spun out in January 2020, is that right? So quite a rapid process from winning the competition to actually forming a company and spinning out of the university. Can you kind of talk us through some of those challenges of learning the business side of things and becoming a founder and, and that experience of spinning out through Cambridge Enterprise? The whole process was quite lengthy, uh, to be honest, and it was a personal choice uh, as well. I could go academia or getting out of the whole thing altogether. It was a big decision for myself as well as for my family, but uh, luckily I made that right choice. But also for everybody as well, it's, it's a journey that we progressively improving our story, our messaging, 
and our technology as well uh, along the way with great helps uh, from everybody actually uh, not just the game enterprise but also the general community the investors or the mentors as well we spend like um, six or nine months i think roughly around that time in terms of getting our story lined up and getting polished uh, for the business plan and business strategy and all that we're doing material science based uh, startup which is uh, inevitable uh, something very difficult to start in the beginning uh, but luckily there are plenty uh, expertise and people with uh, semiconductor experience in the past especially with the successful microprocessor arm that a good example setting up for everybody in Cambridge that semiconductor business can be done differently uh, and can be done in the UK but yeah it did take us uh, quite a few months to put everything together but luckily we uh, quickly move on from there in terms of getting the funding initially and then moving out of the university which was actually the, the right decision actually because because of the covid uh, the restrictions and lockdowns so tong tong I, I like it that you said oh, it, it took us a few months you you actually launched your first product in november of that of that same year so you were straight off the starting blocks really quickly can we just take you back a little bit can you just give us a the layman's explanation of what gallium nitride is and then build up the story of where porous GAN comes in. So basically, gallium nitride is very good in terms of functional components in optoelectronics for lighting bulbs uh, or anything that gives out light. In the same time, you may have also the mobile phone chargers that you can convert electricity and uh, charging your phone much quicker, but also having very high efficiency. So that's the whole background and benefits of this material. Because uh, I mentioned the, uh, the gallium nitride material itself is quite defective in terms of the material. So there are certain restrictions and certain physical phenomenon that can't be realized with the existing conventional methodology. So that's where we came in with our proprietary porous uh, nanostructure architecture. Essentially, an architecture that uh, can uh, manipulate and um, engineer the material properties so that we can get away from the defectivity but still deliver the performance that's required, especially for emerging application areas. So that coming back to uh, initially, obviously, we transfer that bit of a uh, manufacturing technology out of the university uh, and making that uh, happen uh, with our pilot plant operation in the stock company uh, in Boratech in Cambridge. Uh, but then we gradually have to looking for some user case or product market fit, basically. But we luckily uh, quickly surveyed around different areas of the application and which market might be appropriate and which market we may have an advantage. So we pick it up for the micro-LED business orientation in terms of talking about all the displays or the screens that may need a bit of a, a revolution because everybody used to be relying on the um, computer laptops and uh, iPad and then mobile phone and then everybody is watching their phones. But what would be the next thing that's coming up? So basically that's what micro-LED is going to be doing. So there are some certain limitations and challenges that the industry is facing. And we came in with our proprietary uh, porous architecture to solve those issues and deliver the performance with the manufacturing ability. Uh, so that's pretty much got us to the first product launch in terms of solving the most difficult part of the emissions spectrum, which is the longer wavelength, the red color. We have been using our proprietary porous architecture to tackle this really pain point for the entire industry. So we quickly found our market fit. So you started to touch there on the market. What does the market look like in terms of financial 
opportunity that that that's presenting itself for this kind of technology and then maybe as a supplementary where are we in that kind of adoption curve as the ceo how do you go about prioritizing where to go first in terms of potential applications or market opportunities the display market is a huge market so as of today i'm talking about 120 billion dollars a year market size total for the display applications which is pretty much occupied by LCD, uh, you might have heard OLED or QLED, but MicroLED is coming up very strong, uh, just simply because the functionality and performance and form factors that's needed for the next generation uh, display applications that goes beyond the household and goes beyond the uh, indoor applications. So in that sense, you may have also heard about the uh, metaverse. I wouldn't necessarily touch on specifically on the metaverse, which is uh, something probably too far away. But in terms of augmented reality or assisted reality, that's something we call that might be coming up uh, at any minute from here. So basically, micro-reality is not only going to be replacing the conventional technology and taking up the entire display $120 billion market, but also the future personalized, uh, centralized uh, sort of a device for everybody uh, in all kind of user cases. So we're looking at another $600, $700 billion market for the augmented reality market. 80% of the information that we human receive every day are coming from the visual. So it's a huge market. It's almost trillion dollar market. But in terms of the market adoption, it's difficult to get this new technology accepted as well as manufactured simply because it's a consumer market. We are hoping with our proprietary technology and um, uh, our approach that we will accelerate this whole entire market opportunity. But we're looking at, let's say, uh, quite aggressively uh, in terms of the target uh, launching date uh, for the augmented reality uh, products. So we're looking at Q1 2025 with our partners and customers for the first uh, round of uh, launching for the products. I guess one final question before I hand over to Faye. With such a new technology, you see this a lot where you're truly innovating in a space. There's a kind of obligation on you to educate the market in terms of the opportunity and potential for the new technology. How do you approach that from a marketing and thought leadership perspective? Are you taking the burden of that on in terms of educating the marketplace about this opportunity? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not only the education, but also it's a learning from the customers and user perspective. But luckily, we got the right strategy in place that we are not making our own product, but we rather trying to embed our technology with the end customer. Talking about the end customer user case, it's all about user interface and the entire ecosystem that could be able to uh, launch in this product. As a matter of fact, this uh, augmented reality market is being pulled by the major technology companies very heavily, and they are also investing very heavily. So um, we decided to focus on improving our technology, but getting to know the timeline, the, the spec and the product development roadmap with our customers. But in terms of the market strategy, as well as the opportunity, obviously, I just mentioned about the display uh, general market opportunity. That is something that we're focusing on that might be productized uh, a little bit earlier than the augmented reality. We're talking about TVs and signage and small wearables, these large displays, and that's helping us to, one, to validate our technology, two, is getting some revenues and cash. So that's uh, our business strategy uh, for the commercialization. And then for the augmented reality part of the development, 
uh, obviously it's a long journey and it has to be working hand in hand with the customers and the supply chain. So that is pretty much uh, heavily uh, invested in uh, R&D activity. So we balance that out while it's still trying to get our technology validated and embedded. So Tong Tong, you've talked there a little bit about the plans for expansion and production. So I think when we first met, first of all, you raised three million, I think, and then you raised a hefty Series A, twenty million, and obviously that money is going towards that growth trajectory that you're looking for. Um, can you tell us anything about the the funding and about that journey that you went on to get the funding that others might find useful? Because it seems to be quite a huge jump really quickly. Yeah, it's uh, very much in line in terms of what we do and our strategy for the market, for the IP protection, and for our future expansion as well. Uh, although we came out of the Cambridge ecosystem in the UK, but we looked globally at the customer base and user case and supply chain. So uh, essentially for the Series A round, as well as the R&D activity, we are working with strategic partners along the way. So we're intentionally looking outside of the UK and into the Europe, into the Asia area, as well as the US. But the key thing is uh, we are looking for the investors not only just bring in the cash, but they do add value on to, in terms of the customer as well as supply chain relationship. Obviously, um, this part of the business does require capital and cash. Uh, and what we have came up with in terms of the technology offering is quite unique and quite differentiating from everybody else. So what we uh, were thinking is we wanted to speed up the progression. Yeah, 20 million may sound too much of a jump, but it is something that we really need just to keep our pace up uh, and keep our advantage ahead of everybody else. Hopefully that will pay back quite quickly. A quick clarification question for my benefit. Are you outsourcing manufacturing via a partner or are you looking to manufacture yourselves? We are outsourcing business. We don't do any manufacturing ourselves. We do R&Ds using our pilot plant in Cambridge for sure. But manufacturing is not done by us. We have different supply chain for different customers and different technologies. So uh, we have supply chain in Taiwan. We also have a supply chain in the uh, European and US. So that gives us flexibility as well to not only have the faster iteration, but also having the continuity as well as security of the supply chain. People will listen to this and they'll, they'll be excited that you've raised impressive amounts of money. But we kind of know that along with that money comes a whole new set of pressures and challenges, one of which is obviously scaling the business and growing the team. So how has that experience been for you? How have you found recruitment and building a team in Cambridge? Is it, has it been easy? Has it been difficult? What, what's your experience there? We started from three co-founders initially, and now I think we have more than 40 people globally. We have almost like 30 people in the headquarter in Cambridge, but also we have a strong R&D team in Taiwan as well. And to be honest, uh, we've been progressing quite quickly. We initially had the garage, basically, uh, and then we moved into another uh, executive suite. And now we're moving into a 15,000 square foot warehouse. But in terms of the further expansion as well as the recruitment, I think Cambridge does have a good collection of different expertise uh, from all levels of competency. We have attracted quite a few good candidates from Cambridge, but also uh, everywhere else in the uh, UK. We are taking advantage of the UK expertise as well as R&D spirit for the initial journey and subsequent R&D activities. But we are trying to utilize the talent pool as well as the manufacturing supply chain establishment around the world. 
I wouldn't say it's as easy, but it's getting better and better. So you mentioned that you received, you know, not only capital injections, but also a lot of support and guidance from the, the Cambridge ecosystem. I understand that you were part of the Ignite program at the Judge Business School. So how did that go? And, you know, who did you meet there? And, and what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, that was a very uh, interesting experience, actually. So Ignite was a very intense one-week program. I would say on top of the uh, postdoc competition, receiving critics and uh, polishing our business brand, the Ignite is really going out there. Uh, nobody knows what we do, uh, and we have to start from scratch in terms of crafting our business sense uh, in there. So we met up quite a number of people and getting to um, test our ideas and from a business perspective. I think that was probably the most important bit of development for me and uh, for everybody here at Fortech. Everything that we learned and we heard from that business course really ignites with what we are planning and thinking for our part of the business. So pretty much we're ticking all the boxes after that program. Very much echoing the name of the program really ignites and resonates. That is probably the best business course training program that I can also recommend. And Tong Tong is being recognized as a successful startup ever a double-edged sword you know you're getting lots of awards and lots of recognition and invitations onto great podcasts and things like that <laughs> you know is it ever a double-edged sword to be honest as a technologist and a material scientist i rather prefer to keep a low profile but also in terms of the market it's so difficult for everyone uh, that people are trying to get to know what everybody else is doing so we rather prefer to stay quiet on the technology side of the development but there are some certain exposures and attentions thought leaderships that we have to inevitably put ourselves up and i'm up for it and uh, i'm ready for that challenge uh, and, and i think that's a, a good experience for my personal development as well i think it's a good thing that we got so much attention locally and internationally that is another kind of validation for ourselves and that just motivates us. I think one thing for sure is your foot is firmly on that pedal. It reminds me that a presentation I was in, you challenged the audience to keep their eyes on you because you were looking to be the next Cambridge-based unicorn. Is that your target? Is that your measure of success? I think that is something that we wanted to prove and showcase to everybody around the world that Cambridge is really the place to have all the technologies incubated. So yeah, that is a bit of a thing that keeps us moving, uh, to be honest. Uh, but also in the meantime, in terms of measure of success, yes, I think we're talking about the huge market opportunity and big momentum that we are making, not only on the technology offering, but also on the commercial development as well, in terms of working with the biggest technology companies on the planet. So uh, yeah, I think we are on the way to become the next unicorn, the next material science or semiconductor unicorn uh, from Cambridge. Yes. That's great. It's really exciting to hear. And we will certainly keep our eyes on you. In the meantime, don't forget to go and buy another awards case because you're obviously going to keep collecting more. And <laughs> um, Tong Tong, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking to you. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. 
If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919 600.